Now King Solomon, this is from 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 13 and 26 through 43. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes and I, that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant." Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of you, the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Then down to verse, 40, verse 26. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David his father. The man Jeroboam was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor, labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the, she, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you 10 tribes, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David 
and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you, 10 tribes. Yet to his son, I will give one tribe that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you, and will walk in my ways, and do what is right in my eyes, and keep by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David, my servant, did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, today I am 45 years old, right? Uh, yeah. And I just want you guys to know I praise God. I'm just glad to be here. I'm um, seeing a lot of things, been through some stuff, and God's just been good. I just want to share that with you today. This is a birthday celebration that I can say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, thank you for your grace. Today is another one of those difficult messages and lessons from the book of Kings. As we come to the end of Solomon's reign, right, as the greatest Israeli king ever in terms of reign and power and wisdom, there is no way to describe the end of this story other than one of the world's greatest upsets. Because for most of Solomon's life, he had it all. He had it all together. He had the best reputation around until things began to unravel at the end of his life and rule as king. This is like finding out that your favorite athlete was using performance-enhancing drugs all along, right? Or that girl you know it's true was a lip-syncing lie. <laughs> Before you upcoming Super Bowl fans, Matt, this is for you, that maybe Tom Brady really couldn't make all those throws with a fully inflated ball. <laughs> or without tapes of other teams' practices. Like that, but worse and more serious. 
Because Solomon's story is not just the makings of some TMZ celebrity gossip. His story is the story of us all, of sin, of sins big and small, finally catching up to us, finally coming to a head, finally doing what we are warned and typically don't realize until it's too late. That like Solomon's tragic experience shows us two things I want us to look at today. Number one, that sin will tear your life apart. But secondly, and in contrast, that God's, God's grace alone holds and heals our lives. Number one, sin will tear our lives apart, but God's grace will hold and heal us. I want to remind you once again who we are talking about here going into chapter 11. Once again, this is Solomon, the greatest and most awesomest king that ever lived, the Bible said, bar none. No one wiser, no one more powerful, no one more savvy, no one more diplomatic, no one more heralded in the history of monarchs among Israeli kings. He was the king of the golden and glory age that Israel never returned to. And yet this chapter today shows what can and is happening to the very best of us, like him, by sin. And I shouldn't assume that we are working with the same definition of sin. Christians, we Christians and pastors throw that term around, stop sinning. We don't really know what it means, right? Not all of us. It's hard to figure out what we're talking about. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a 350-year-old guide of Christian theological questions, that I still and we still use today, answers the question of what sin is in this way. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Okay, I can see for you, like me at first, that didn't help. All right. So I went to the children's shorter catechism, and guess what? I felt stupid. Same answer, just about. We got some smart kids out there. So I finally had to go to the modern catechism. Right? For our, us not so smart people, right? And it, answered it answers it this way. Sin is any failure to measure up to what God requires or any disobedience to his commands. Ah, that's it. So, this is what this passage is showing us in part today. That sin, not measuring up to what God requires or any disobedience to his commands can tear your life apart. And Solomon did lots of not measuring up to what God requires and disobedience to God's commands. And so what we see in chapter 11 is how sin worked to actually do that. Tears life apart and can is doing the same to yours and mine. And two sub points here for you note takers. Under sin tearing your life apart, sin can tear your heart apart, Subpoint A. And Subpoint B, the life and lives God has blessed you with. Now, we have already in our sermon from chapter 9, two weeks ago, it should be online, go back and listen to it. This is, could be part two to that. We've already seen how God calls us to make choices that have consequences in everything and everywhere in our lives. And what we see here more acutely, more clearly, is how those choices to not obey God and measure up to what he wants, even small departures, can cause big trouble in our lives. 
Look at me. Sorry. Look with me. You're already looking at me. Look with me beginning at verse 1 in this chapter. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall you, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their God. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly, was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of, his David, of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shamash, the abomination of Moab, and for Malak, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Solomon, when we go back, he didn't start out with 300 wives. He didn't start with a heart. He started, rather, with a heart that was after God, right, and not after other gods. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the early chapters that Solomon had a heart for God holy for God, and built an incredible temple for the Lord and won many wars for, for God and brought peace to his people. But Solomon married one woman at one time from Egypt and then built altars to false gods, but never went up there himself just to appease his couple of wives and then an attempt to make treaty after treaty. Good things for the stability of the kingdom. Solomon took one wife and then, a la slick Rick bedtime story, one couldn't stop. It's like he had a disease. He married another and another and a sister from her brother. I had to change that, right? He couldn't stop. You see, marriages were used as diplomatic tools of the day. And though it was a cultural custom to have more than one wife back then, God made one thing blatantly clear to the king that they should by all means not marry foreign wives of certain nations around them. And not because God was xenophobic, but because of what verse 2 says. It'll turn your heart away from me. But in Solomon's practice, let me explain this to you. The more wives, the more peace and good trade agreements and low cost of living, right? Because Solomon could make sure the royal families of other world powers would not attack their daughter and son-in-law and grandkids. And then concubines were wise with conjugal duties, but with royal, but no royal rights to sweeten the deal, right? And just to make the king happy. These small choices 
one wedding at a time, right? And let me add, add good for the kingdom administrative choices, good for keeping peace, keeping Israel winner, and good for beauty and prosperity and living and feeling nice in a fallen world to treat himself just a little, little bit because Solomon deserved it. He worked so hard. He could just take a little bit off the top. Man, as much as he'd given up for God, and now he not only has in his old age 700 princesses, most foreign, but 300 concubines instead of just giving his wives and concubines a place to worship their gods to help them not be homesick. The Bible says these wives, that these wives that, that, that Solomon controlled and was king over, as God said would happen, surprise, they turned his heart away from God. In large part, so much so that, get this, according to verse 6, not only did he have sinful affections and feelings about the other gods beside his God, the Bible says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. We don't keep digging in. It's going to be hard for a minute. This means he was arrogantly sinning all up in God's face. Right up and before God's holiness. In fact, verse 9, let me read it one more time, says this, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God had personally hung out with Solomon. This sound familiar? He had a personal relationship with God. Sounds like something we Christians say a lot. God twice appeared to Solomon. And he still went in after all these wives and not only liked the other gods, but built them homes too. He built God a home, then he started building these other gods a home. And not just built places of worship, but again, he worshiped there too. And not just worshiped there, but worshiped the most abominable, evil gods the other nations had to offer with stuff like child sacrifice and, 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 and gods who hated his God. And then when it says in verse 7 that he built these temples on high places on the mountain of East Jerusalem, let me tell you what this means. It meant that the temple of one of these false evil gods was facing the temple of God in the West. Solomon started the first east side, west side clash, right? By worshiping other gods across the proverbial street from the God of Israel. Right where, now let me tell you what it meant. Right where God could be sure to see it and have to deal with it wasn't like, here's God's temple, and we built one a little lower. No, the Bible says he built God's temple on a hill, and then he built the other God's temples on hills equal to his God. Literally. Now, we're going to use a little thing here because God's a spirit, but literally the scripture is saying he did evil in the sight line and presence of God. Look, God. I'm over here worshiping another God. Can you see me? What happened? How did he get here? He had money. He had cars. Well, chariots. He had everything. The Bible says in verse 2 that Solomon clung to these women in love. And I'm going to do a little, we can do a little teaching for a minute. Hang in here. I want you to be careful here. This tells its own story within a story. 
Because these women were probably first, again, just diplomatic tools. Right? Tools with benefits in his mind, and it's terrible. A tool that he then began to enjoy. The word for love is not primarily romantic love only. It meant that he loved him some women, right? But then it says he clung to them. Now hear this closely. Clung means that the things he loved began to take him in. The word actually is a sister word to the word conquer. Solomon's heart was conquered. It was overcome by the, his love and enjoyment and sin and having these many women. It got out of control. It was more than a physical thing. His heart was caught up. He thought he was in control, but it took control over him. And the wives are just one part of a full case study of how sin's, sin works and happened to Solomon in particular. Because guess what else he disobeyed God in? Not only taking foreign wives, but he started to love and hoard gold. God said, don't hoard a lot of gold. The Bible says he had so much gold that silver price was like water, right? And, and horses and chariots. And he had so many horses and chariots, there's only one other building bigger than his and God's, the building with the horses and chariots. He had power over diplomatic relationships in ways that he shouldn't. God said, handle them this way. Solomon says, well, it's easy to handle them this way and make them slaves instead of get rid of them. Hey, I'm a better diplomat than what God knew what to do. Look at us. We're doing great. And those things that he loved too, along with God, maybe not quite as much as God in certain ways, he began to love more than God at times because he clung to them. Or better translated, they clung to him. They took up residence in his heart and they began to control his heart and mind and then his behavior. And then Solomon went straight buck wild before the Lord in wealth and power and diplomatic manipulation. And it's easy to look past small, so-called white sins, right? Just the little things, not bad, that look like smart decisions. And you know how it is, y'all. I'm human, too. You just want to keep it real. You can't be all holier than thou and everything. I'm just a man. We're just human. God can't expect us to be held accountable. Everybody's doing it. This is a new day and age. This is my right, my body, my choice kind of thinking. And all of that stuff that we think and we think's new kind of thinking, we progressive, man. We're not one of those archaic Puritan kind of Christians. We don't have the God of the Old Testament. We got the God of the New Testament. That kind of thinking was going on back here. It ain't new. It just happened to be in the Old Testament. Old Testament people thought, man, that God, that, that ain't the God of the Old Testament in which I'm living. That's the God of the Old, Old Testament. <laughs> There's new gods like Moloch and Shamash and Milcom, right? These gods are incredible. They, they, they're, they're innovative. They're not archaic. They're the modern way of living these days. I ain't going back to that God that brought y'all out of Egypt, man, please. And it broke out on Solomon. Now, let me tell you who he was. Remember? Don't forget, just in case you're proud in here. I don't follow all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty good, right? No, man. His sin caught him, right? It clung to him. Who was he? The strongest mentally. Like, if anybody had a strong mind and resolve, that dude did. 
the most put together, most in control man in the world. Oh, the world had ever known. The Bible even said so. Jesus came back and affirmed it. Solomon was the wisest. It meant that there was nothing he didn't have control of. He was the most sophisticated, scientifically informed, all in the literature and all kind of stuff, man there ever was. That means better than you. And it conquered his mind. He lost his mind and heart, y'all. It became a sin cancer that took control of his heart and resolved for God. And it went from his messed up heart to his actions and ability and desire to love and show love for God and others. Come on, this is a familiar story. Right? If you don't believe me, think about this. Just one little look at a little porn. I'm tired, you know? Things ain't right with the wife, you know. Just a little bit. Just one salacious, sort of halfway flirty text message. I can have a little fun on the side. Sometimes in our lives, we even put God's name on it. God understands how hard it is. Right? Now things are clingy. Just going to do it this once more. Just going to let this anger toward this person sit there and not confront or repent. For some of us, it's like this. I'm just going to tell this other person about this other person, how I really feel about them. It's sort of like a prayer request. Not gossip. Right? Let me just shoot this email off. And I'll just put this one little sentence of doubt about them in email. Right? And you go from one little sentence, and you've created the whole Verizon network. Some of y'all are good at it. Some of you just use your face. Mm. Some of us gamers, just one more game. One more boss to beat, right? My family understand. Be okay. One more hour at work. One more meeting. It's okay. The Bible says this in verse 9 through 11. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. And then in verses 14 through 25, which is not in your reading, you see some of these diplomatic relationships that he kind of had shadiness in start to fall apart. And people say, hey, wait a minute, this dude is oppressive. We're rising up against him. Right? You see how these small cracks and breaks in relationship with others that Solomon had to start, start coming apart, right? And and I just wonder sometimes, how did these relationships fall apart? Did you ever think that maybe one of those concubines he's had, had was somebody's sister, right? From some country that he conquered, but he didn't get rid of. All kind of craziness, y'all. All kind of small little stuff. 
And then, of course, Jeroboam's story that we did read about, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But we could go on and on over the logistical reasons why the kingdom began to fall apart. We could do whole history channel episode. Why Solomon's kingdom failed. It's because he messed up here and messed up there, right? But bottom line, behind and under it all was the way his sin against God began to tear his heart apart from God. Listen carefully. Like it did Solomon. Sin against God, it puts perforations. Okay, I had to practice that word for a while. Perforations. It puts those little holes and seams in our heart, in our lives, and then temptation. Get this. Like the women in Solomon's turns and tears our hearts. Did you know the word for for Solomon's heart being turned? That word turned means stretched. And when those women, were, were, we, and when we are tempted by temptation, the sin already in our hearts tears away from God. And then get this, sin isn't the only one pulling. God pulls on our lives as he should to obey. And we are so stretched and so perforated and so seamed by sin and bad behavior. When he pulls on us, come to me. It can tear the very fabric of our lives and where we have done wrong all along and the cracks and the brokenness begins to show up, right? Things begin to fall apart at the sinful scenes. No, you can't obey God. He pulls and you and obey and it pulls away and it cracks. It's God's requirement and call on our lives, play tug of war with our hearts and lives, it, it play, plays tug of war on our hearts, right? And, and it begins to pull up those seams against what we really have a heart for. And when God pulled and the world pulled, as Solomon himself explains in Ecclesiastes, all the wisdom, knowledge, and power came to nothing. But the sad thing about not obeying God in our everyday decisions is that, is that it tears not only our personal lives apart, it tears the lives God has given us around us to, to, to us to care for apart. This is one of the hardest parts of this whole passage. We're so selfish in, in the way we live. I want us to see this. The sin of Solomon meant that as the king, the whole nation would then suffer. The whole nation would get torn apart from their land of blessing and put right into exile where their God, away from their God who was in the temple and suffer all sorts of terrible things. And it started in large part with Solomon's sin. Do you know what the gods, Moloch and Asherah and Shemash, I'm trying to say it without saying a bad word, the, the gods that he gave to his wives and then introduced to Israel demanded? Yeah, didn't think about that, Right. I was reading this commentary, and it said, here's, because I was trying to figure out who these gods were, and it said, you know what? These are the gods that Solomon introduced to Israel. What? The king who brought God's presence and built a temple there for God also introduced a whole line of gods to a new generation of people. He brought these guys not only into his life, but the life of the people he led. Do you know what sorts of things these gods demanded? Once again, child sacrifice by passing children through fire and temple prostitution, straight up child abuse and neglect and abuse and exploitation of the poor and women at a whole new level. 
His abuse of sin of women and children in society would create a culture and possibly generations of brokenness because of his beginning with one or two things of disobedience of God. Just a couple of temples. Oh man, this is bad, ain't it? <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> Breaking the law of God shatters into a million different Humpty Dumpty kind of pieces with the exception that it's sharp and dangerous and like deadly shards, especially in the lives of those who are looking to you for relationship, for camaraderie, to be a good neighbor, to be a good boss, to be a mother and father and son and daughter and brother and sister and community. Sin tears us all apart and makes us not just torn by our sin, but torn up and apart by someone else's sin. Some of you are sitting here torn up and apart and have a hard time pulling away from certain sin patterns in large part because of, some, of stuff your mom introduced or how her sin and neglect tore into her life and then yours, how your parents' bad decisions have left you scarred. We are torn racially and economically by sins that went into making this country great the first time, right? We are torn up and apart by so many mistakes we have made against God. We have all sorts of things like the God of Shamash, right, which stands for a God of devastation and destruction, all sorts of addictions. And, and some of us men, we can't stop lying and, and doing the things we do. Some of our hearts are clinging to fear of not having and not being in control. And so we are tearing it up at work and are climbing to the top. While doing, and while doing so, tearing the heart out of our kids and wives because of neglect. I want to especially talk to us men. Like Solomon, the greatest man's man that ever lived. Especially you men, we men. When we mess up and being absentee or abusive or neglectful, we leave serious emotional and spiritual and familial carnage, not only in our families, but across society. I want you just to, man, just think about, just look around this church. Just, just hear some of the stories. Hey, look, in, look inside yourself. The stories of what daddy did and didn't do and men who took advantage of and abused and left someone and couldn't get out of their boyhood into manhood of boys who won't know how to grow up to be men of sexual messes and dignity breaking. So yeah, we believe in servant male leadership in this church, but we also know and accept the real devastating, I'm going to even say demonic, False God Shamash like devastation on God's people and people, men and leaders in general have and can cause. So, sin has done a real job on all of us. Now, every single one of us need counseling. We have, we have hearts that are not wholly turned to the Lord. We have stuff clinging that we won't and can't let go of and won't let go of you and me. I don't know what's in your life, but God is not mocked. This is the hard part. If and when evil is done, as we do it in the sight of a holy God, joined by his sin of real punishment and discipline, it will cause our hearts, as it already has, and our lives, to come apart at the seams. And here is another tough part to this story. There is nothing we have been a part of who are built for God that is wholly committed to him. 
So you can't say, well, let me go to this part of my life. It's great. (laughs) At least I'm a good worker. Not good enough. There's nothing that's not bearing the seams of sin that can at any moment be torn apart and come apart as evil pulls or God demands holy reckoning of it. The Bible says this in verse 40. Look with me here. Solomon sought, therefore, this is when he finds out that the kingdom is going to be torn from him. The prophet tells him that 10 of the tribes are going to be torn from him. There's 12 tribes. One of them, Benjamin, kind of goes with Judah. But here's the deal. He says 10 tribes are going to be torn from you, and he kind of finds out that Jeroboam is going to be the one who takes his kingdom, 10 of his kingdom. And this is what it says here in verse 40. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Okay, okay, I'm going to take some time. Just This verse is so interesting. Okay? Who has the greatest escape from Egypt story? The Israelites, right? God delivered from Egypt. Did you know that the word there when he said he fled to Egypt is the same kind of sentence structure that goes with Israelites fleeing from Egypt out of slavery into freedom? At this point, Jeroboam was on God's side. Solomon sought to kill him. And the irony is, he fled to safety back to Egypt. You see how stuff happens? Now, that was just a little tidbit. I don't know what it's got to do with anything. But, and I bring this, this whole verse 40 to your attention because Solomon could not reverse or save his torn life by his own power. By his manipulation. Oh, it worked so well before. If he heard someone was going to rise up and kill him, someone would take care of it, right? All of the gold and horses and alliances and gods could not actually save him from the tear of sin on his life. And the same goes for you and me. You can't save yourself. I say this and I want you to get it because when we hear messages like today, I know if I stop right now, I'm the same way. We immediately start thinking that if you can just be better. If I, I will be the golden child and stop the family curse. That's what's driving some of y'all now. If I can just be a better husband and a better wife and a better neighbor and a better friend, if I can just try harder this time and change my life with my own power, y'all, this is the church. We believe in the gospel. I'm not going to lie to you. This is not a self-help seminar. You're in the wrong place, wrong church, wrong Bible, wrong gospel. If I can just change my life in my own power and adjust my destiny, you hear that all the time. Even some stuff, if I can just take a hold of the torn pieces myself and make a strong resolve to get the stuff out of my life right and do my New Year's resolution, then I can pull my life together. And in doing so, guess what? Oh, it's so bad. You and I have simply gone from one heart and life tearing idol to another. Simply going to another human-built high place parallel and right across the street mimicking the Lord's holiness. Lord, I don't need to face you. I can just fix it myself. You can't fix your life. Avoiding the Lord and try to fake out the Lord with good works. Don't work like that. Some of y'all are trying to join a church so you can have some good works. What kind of mercy things y'all do in the neighborhood? Sure, we got lots of that. But I don't care what's torn up in your life by sin. That won't fix it. Well, I serve soup to 100 people. Great. 
your debt before God for sin. And, and let me make it a little easier for some of us. The kind of stuff that's been done to you is so deep. You can't even see it, right? You don't have eyes for it yet. A hundred suits, suit to poor folk ain't going to fix it. Now, hear me. Doing those works of mercy and justice are signs of redemption, right? So you see those and you say, man, those people must be the redeemed people of the Lord. But those things aren't the thing that redeem the people of the Lord. I want you to abandon all hope of saving yourself. That's the message for today. That's half of it. I want you to stop trying to save yourself and being save worthy in and of yourself. And not many pastors, I don't think, will tell you that God is and will be straight angry with you for the sins we've committed. And ways our hearts never turned to him or turned away from him after seeing him, after knowing better, after experiencing better. Y'all, I tell you, as a Christian, it's so hard. You know better, and sometimes you still do the wrong thing. As a believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture says. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and you sin anyway. Now what? Y'all ready to go home? Not me. I hope there's some good news. Well, the answer given to Solomon was not to do or get better. Though getting and doing better is a symptom of redemption. The answer was grace. The answer is God's grace. Oh, that's it. Look at verse 41 with me. So after Solomon tries to fix the problem himself, look at what he says in verse 41. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm getting there. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he had did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years, and Solomon slept with his father and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. And then if we look back at the verse, it says, he did evil in the eyes of God, and God was angry. That was verse 9. I want you to know and see something before we get to some of the stuff. All those years Solomon reigned, he was not getting away or being good enough to not be judged or be punished. So why did his life and heart not fall completely apart earlier? Why didn't God kill Solomon early? He could have. Because according to why God was doing things here, it was never about Solomon's goodness and glory or ability that actually held the kingdom together while it was doing well. It was always God's grace from day one holding the kingdom together. See, it's easy to read the story and say, oh, the reason it fell apart is only because he started sinning. No, the man came in office a sinner. He started as a sinful king. But why did it never fall apart after 40 years of reigning? Because for 40 years, God's grace was holding it together. 
God's redemption and love for Solomon and his people were never about his wisdom and his ability to be smart enough and good enough and just enough to make his kingdom and heart survive. Look again at verse 11 through 13. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son. Hear this now. For the sake of David, my servant... And for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And then later in the passage it says, For the sake of Jerusalem, the city, I, will, I have decided to put my name and promise I'd be there forever. It was by grace, by unmerited or unearned or earned by someone else. In this case, his father's date, Father David's merit kind of mercy and grace all those messed up and good years. I want you to know that your sin and sinfulness is not a game. It's not a gamble where you are getting away with it and adding enough goodness to make God happy. This and you and his love for you and me and his glory and his good purposes in that is not a game to God. He is like he was with Solomon with how, he was, how we sin and sin has treated us. He is angry and he sees it as evil so i have a question how have you made it so far how did solomon's kingdom do the good and have the glory for good that it did how did you make it and keep making it without being condemned and suffering the weights of sin right now yesterday why aren't your kids more messed up all things considered Why are you not completely gone or lost or forgotten from what happened to you in your childhood or foolish young days or stupid and silly grown-up ways? Why is your marriage still salvageable and still has a chance even if slim and even good for some of us? Considering all your sexual histories and divorce backgrounds and all sorts of stuff, how is it that you are still here even right now? Listen to this sermon, not your goodness. Not your moral game, not your gambling with the yin and yang of thinking you are hiding from God, not because sin and its damage has skipped over you, but because of God's grace. It was always and will always be by the grace of God loving and giving you and me mercy and hope and second and new chances because he wants just to simply show off his glory and his goodness and his good purposes so that what is torn up and seamed up and broken up on the inside and outside of us by sin will not be the storyline or finish of our lives, but simply a chapter on the way. And that is true. Whether you are a believer today or not, God's grace, that you are not as bad as you could be, and things are not as bad as they should be, and you are alive today, and you are experiencing good today, despite all the things that can be going on because of God's grace, and for that we should give him our obedience and praise and repentance and heart once again. Some of you, I know, y'all have, hey, I can join in the line too. Y'all have testimonies in here that you should not have made it. 
You shouldn't be in your right mind. You shouldn't even have the hope you got, right? You should, you should have given up living a long time ago. God should have killed you. He should have exposed you and turned you out for the ways you turned and stayed unholy committed to him. But for God's grace, somehow in his holy, unsearchable, divine, loving heart, for the merit of God's glory and good purposes in Jesus, despite your not good enough merit and demerits, God has shown you mercy and favor and actions that you and I have not deserved to earn, but what Jesus has now taken a hold of and saved. Look again at verses 11 through 13. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you've not kept my commandment, my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give you one tribe Give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Do you see the grace of God? Through his chosen servant, for the sake of those torn apart and asunder by sin in their hearts and lives, for the women and children and the exploited and the offender and the abuser and the abused, do you see it? God is saying, your sin has destroyed and twisted everything and everyone in your heart and life. But one person from one tribe will rise up out of all of that mess and take hold. Take in his hand the broken pieces. One person, one promise, one salvation in the face of a multitude of torn and broken sins. Solomon, all that have made you right before me. And made others right. All the ten tribes that you lost. God will raise up one Savior to fix and redeem and restore all that has been torn away. So your life and heart might have been torn apart by you or someone else. But Jesus who's also known as the son of David, who is ultimately taking hold of the promises of God from that one tribe, the tribe of Judah, for your salvation and for all that is torn up. He is taking hold of a life that if it were in your hands would just be destroyed again. You know what he's saying to Solomon? Those verses about David, even in confronting Solomon, you've made a mess of yourself. And my promises and others. And others have made a mess of you. And yes, you will experience suffering and consequences, but for your good and the good and salvation of all involved, I am taking your healing and your failure and your sin and your problems. I'm taking it out of your hand and taking it and putting it in the gracious hands of the promised king, my son, Jesus Christ. How can it be any clearer? And more beautiful for our Savior, for our, us sinners, by God's grace in Jesus. We're not left to be condemned. 
He has taken the broken us and our destiny out of our hands and gripped it by grace in his. And here's the hope in the story. He let Jesus be torn to pieces on the way to Calvary. His skin torn right off his back and his royal dignity and worth and lots cast for his robe that was torn once again right off his back. And he was torn away from his father because he became evil in the sight of God bearing our sins. But scripture says when he rose again on the third day, how does the song we'll sing at the end go? Our destiny and hope and forgiveness and torn up lives being redeemed was in his hand. And now I don't care how torn up my life and heart may be or should be. Hear the words, right? Then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again. And he stands in victory. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear of death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Come get the grace of God in Christ again. Or for the first time, in his hand is you and your healing and your change. The power and grace of God found in his word and in his sacraments, the community ministry of the church, by the Holy Spirit and our repentance and our turning back. You will realize your life in his hands is the grace you need to be redeemed. We can live by grace in the tear of sin. Because yes, we're torn, but in Christ, we're not lost. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it doesn't matter how much of our lives are torn away by sin. If you have one grip on our lives, in Christ Jesus. You'll reconcile and redeem the rest. Help us, Lord, in our arrogance in thinking that we made it and held on because of our good works. Continue to hold us by your grace. Keep us in the grip of your grace. Thank you, Lord that you didn't condemn us or let our idols take us down. I pray for those who don't know you. I pray that they would abandon all hope in themselves and put their lives in your hand. Lord, I pray for those who have impossible sins clinging to them all sorts of addictions all sorts of ways they can't obey God all the apathy 
that we have toward God. Oh, Lord, we don't think about you. Help us to live and be empowered by grace. Lord, as torn up as we are, it's hard to see it that the grace work of one person, Christ Jesus, will reconcile and redeem the rest. Help us to turn to you once again. By your power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.